As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back into the Moment of Cluth podcast. I'm excited to announce that you can now listen to this show anywhere you listen to your podcast. It's available on all the streaming services as a part of the Believe Podcast Network. My guest this week is someone who I've looked up to throughout my career. Jane Slater is a reporter for the NFL Network. She covers the Cowboys, Saints, and Titans, and I've always admired her for her work ethic, her desire to report the facts with integrity, and for being a girl's girl. After sitting down with her for this episode, I can now say I have a new girl crush, and I think you'll see why after listening to our conversation. Hope you enjoy. Joining me now on the Moment of Cluth podcast is NFL reporter, Jane Slater, who's got her finger on the Dallas Cowboys pulse. It's not like anything big went down today at all. Yes. You know, honestly, I was expecting a rather uneventful day. Uh, the tea leaves kept telling us they're sort of moving towards this franchise tag. Uh, Dak Prescott signing the $31.4 million one a few weeks ago. But of course, all these players want at least some long-term security and that's what they were hoping to get done. But I found it very curious that even after he signed the tag, that there weren't any conversations moving the dialogue forward as it pertained to the long-term deal. Uh, it really seemed like his side was digging in. Uh, they want the four-year deal. The Cowboys want the five-year deal. Uh, and I stayed up all night last night, mostly because with Ezekiel Elliott, we saw this thing happen at the 11th hour. And I thought perhaps we would see, like we saw with Demarcus Lawrence and Zeke, sort of the player go to their agent and say, let's bend a little bit and see if we can't get this thing done. It sounds like that happened with Dak, but it didn't happen until after the lunch hour. And so here in Dallas, the deadline was 3 o'clock, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as it was described to me, Dak Prescott got involved in this conversation, but it was too little too late. Um, there was a little bit of scar tissue, I think, between mm – -hmm. Dak's camp, specifically his agent, the Cowboys, that I think is going to have to get remedied at some point. Uh, but when I talked to Dak, he didn't necessarily agree with all the merits of my reporting. And, and I don't know if that is the numbers that I reported or his involvement in those talks at the 11th hour. He confirmed he did talk to Stephen Jones. Uh, mm -hmm. He confirmed that his agent, Todd France, was involved. Uh, I was told that the number that got left on the table was between 33 and $35 million annually per year, uh, that it would have been 110 guaranteed, about 85, 90 of that. It's like a rolling guarantee. And then 110 uh, would have come to him. And then a $50 million signing bonus. That's a lot of money. 
uh, for a guy whose his career earnings to date as a fourth rounder were less than $5 million. But yeah. with this tag, he's looking at $31.4 million. And then we don't have to talk about this long-term deal again until next year. That's what this deadline was. It was to table those discussions. Um, and Dak did say that he's grateful to be a Cowboy. Uh, he wanted to get a deal done. It didn't happen, but he's moving forward. And he's focused on trying to get a Super Bowl. And just having dealt with Dak Prescott through, I mean, the Tony Romo situation. I mean, having this guy who, while he didn't win a lot in Dallas, this was uniquely his team. When he got healthy, he didn't even get a chance to compete for it. That's how impressive Dak Prescott was in his rookie season. We saw Dak play uh, with a wide receiver and tight end by committee. We saw him play without his center, Travis Frederick, who had Guillain-Barre syndrome. And then we also saw him deal with the Ezekiel Elliott suspension. But he's just done such a good job of compartmentalizing and being a consummate professional. So I don't anticipate that's a problem. There was, of course, the tweet from his brother, Thad, uh, that gave you an indication that there was at least some frustration on, on that side. Uh, but if I know Dak, he's going to be able to fight through this. And in fact, I think he typically does better uh, with his back against the wall and a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And this may end up costing the Cowboys a lot of money uh, when they're looking to, they're going to, they have the option of franchise tagging him. Uh, but if they choose not to tag him, then they may end up losing him to another team. I would hate to see it come uh, to that because he is just, he's so well liked here. And I dealt with a lot of athletes in the past. The guy is completely unchanged since his rookie season. Just one of those guys you root for. And it's a shame that so many guys have gotten overpaid in Dallas. And all of a sudden it didn't happen with Dak. What a flair for the dramatics though. <laughs> just to keep us on, keep us on our toes and just have to wait till next year. But I want to shift the focus onto you because this podcast, I like to ask my guests about their career paths. And yours is one that really resonates with me and has for a while. I've been watching you since I was in New Orleans and I saw that you spent several years doing news before you shifted your focus to sports. So let's rewind and talk about how you got where you are today. Well, I started my career uh, in Tyler, Texas as a producer. Uh, in fact, my first six months out of college, I sent back then, it was 2003, I sent over 50 VHS tapes in bubble wrap uh, to stations as far as Bangor, Maine, and not one station called me back. My tape was terrible. I double majored at Texas, so I always wanted to get into politics. I'd actually, quite frankly, had always wanted to be more of a Laura Logan, Christian Amanpour, uh, cover international conflicts, and a White House correspondent in the Rose Garden. Um, but I went to Texas, and you know, high school football is obviously a big deal in Texas, but I went to a relatively new one. And while we were 5A in Garland, it just wasn't that big of a deal. So Texas was different. I mean, obviously, UT football, Big 12, uh, Chris Sims was there, Ricky Williams, Vince Young towards the end of my career, Houston Street and the College World Series team. So you really found yourself getting invested in sports. And Bill Little was this amazing writer when I was there that just like really pulled you in. And I thought, wow, like I really love the way that he – there was like a levity to life when you followed sports, right? Well, there was a heaviness to politics and news. But – um, when I got out of college, I tried both. And like I said, no one wanted me. So I had a job in, um, advertising sales for six months and it was at the ballpark in Arlington, which incidentally I was selling ad space for the Dallas Cowboys radio network, as well as Carol D news radio 1080, which is just a really well-respected uh, radio program in the country. And I would take my lunch out, uh, on sort of the, the foyer and a rods taking BP. 
And so I'm sort of surrounded constantly by news and sports and thinking to myself, while well, I was making really good money in sales, this isn't for me. But I always tell people career choreography is so important. And especially right now, I think in this pandemic, mm-hmm. it's so hard to find the job that you want. Yeah. Um, that was certainly my case coming out of college. And the, the thing with the radio sales deal is you sort of had to sink or swim. You were on a sliding commission to start and then you were strictly commissioned, but you were forced to cold call every day. And that is what you have to do as a reporter. Um, Some people hate it, right? Uh, The one thing that I had a buddy in this business, we talked about the common theme for a lot of reporters that makes you good is I think you've got to be fearless is one of them. And then Kaylee Hartong, a good friend of mine who now works for ABC and she was at ESPN before, you know, what really resonated with me was she said, you've got to ask what your why is, what's your why? And so my why has always been telling stories and trying to do it authentically and respectfully. And I see it as such a responsibility to get the story right. And if I don't get the story right, and there's not many instances of that because I try so hard to get everyone involved before I report something. um, I just see it as a great responsibility that people are sharing their information with me. I mean, as a reporter, and as you kind of move up the ranks, people become a little bit more interested in your personal life. And I can't imagine sharing my information with someone and them getting it so wrong that it affects my career and my livelihood. And Mm -hmm. so I always try to uh, approach my job through that lens. And I think that that's really helped me is like try to get to know the players, have some empathy, get to know what makes them tick, where they're from. But I think it was those jobs that I had, like I said, in radio sales and in a high school, I had a job working at a grocery store. So you really see a cross section of people. I was a nanny. uh, I worked at a dry cleaner. Uh, but I think all of those jobs really helped me appreciate what I'm doing now. And even when I got a job in Tyler, Texas, it was behind the camera. And so I didn't even know how to stack a show. I like, I always took time away from sports, which drove them crazy. Uh, but I have such a respect now for my producers, uh, for the assignments editors, you learn how to advance a story. Uh, there's just so much that I learned. I think so many people wallow on the negative of the things that they're not getting right now or the opportunities they're not getting. But if you look at it through a different lens and when I look back sort of the patchwork of my life in the Mm -hmm. quilt, every little setback or job I had really sort of led me to this. And, you know, being a news reporter, which I cherished, uh, I think the reason why I've been able to be so successful at NFL Network was you are forced to identify what the headline of the day is, what the storylines are, cold calling the police chief, the mayor, uh, you name it. Um, and just being able, when you're sitting in a press conference to say, that's the news of the day. Uh, Mm -hmm. I find that young reporters who get a network job early and are sort of thrust into the role and the responsibility of this, they don't really understand how to do that on the fly and to do it quickly. And I, I just remember when I was starting out logging a tape for three hours at a time and, and just not really knowing how to do my job. But now when I look back, I'm like so grateful that I had so many setbacks and I had to do so much on the way up that it's really helped me, I think, have a more of a sustainable career uh, because I had to do so much before. I love that. It's, I feel like so many people come for this industry because they want to be in, on front of, in front of the camera and work in sports and they're not willing to go work in a small town doing news or being behind the camera. And that's really what it takes because all of those little things add up. Um, what I well, love what you said tell to tell you, like in this pandemic, uh, all of a sudden I find myself going back to the one man band scenario. 
Yep. Uh, as soon as the pandemic happened, the first thing I did was go out and get my love, my, my IFB, uh, my laptop set up and, you know, the selfie lights and the lighting. And I called my boss. I said, put me on TV. You know, and before it was only the guys who had, you know, these couple thousand dollar equipments in their home set up by the NFL network, which was the team cam. I basically said, I'm ready to rock. So in other words, there's not an excuse not to put me on television. And so again, it's just those, I think, especially right now in this climate, I would challenge people, what's your added value? that's in life and that's in your professional life. What's your added value? And the best piece of advice my boss ever gave me was don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. And so I think if you're solution-based and not problem-based, I mean, that just is going to help you in every aspect of your life. I knew I was going to like you. You're so tenacious. Um, I loved hearing you say this today on the Dan Patrick show. I was watching your interview there and you said people have been wrong about you in your career before. This whole podcast is about moments in your personal professional life where you felt like you weren't being authentic to who you are. Was it, was there ever a moment where you came across that you thought this isn't me and what did you learn from it? Oh my gosh. So many moments, but, uh, I would say the first time that I got a job that I authentically did not feel that I was qualified for was in Dallas. They were looking for a female sports talk host and I had worked in TV. I'd anchored. Um, I was doing sidelines at the time for Southland football conference. I did traffic reporting, you name it. And I knew everybody from the sales perspective when I worked there before. And then I came back and once I left news, cause I just, I was burnt out. I needed a break. I wasn't getting a full-time opportunity. Uh, I moved over to morning drive radio. So I'm editing my stories like on an iPhone. Right. And so when they were looking for a sports talk co-host, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I think it was like young naivete. Uh, but I was like, Oh, I've got this. I'm going to go out for the job. And I just remember how overwhelming it was to talk five days a week four hours a day, 10 to two, football, baseball, hockey, soccer, you name it, but not only just talk about it. So as a reporter, you're used to reporting just the facts, having an authentic opinion about it. Um, yeah. I didn't play sports. Uh, I was a, I would say I was a passive fan. Uh, it was literally trial by fire. And incidentally, I got the job, which was awesome. Uh, I was grossly underpaid compared to my co-hosts, which we could talk about that a whole nother day. Um, but I also felt like initially it was sort of, I was like supposed to be the cute sidekick. Right. And so it was like finding my way of being like somebody that I can, I, you know, I love journalism and I consider my, myself a serious journalist. How do I take myself not seriously? How do I have an opinion? And I just literally the whole time was questioning who I was, what I was about, what I was doing. Um, and we had a, it was fan text that would come in and the text that would come in and the tweets and just the, the people in the market saying things like, who did you hook up with to get your job? And just, I mean, I remember going home just in tears and I've never worked harder studying for sports, but I'm actually so grateful for it now because it's such a badge of honor for me. I have no problem now jumping on TV and talking for hours on end. Sometimes they have to shut me up, uh, because I'm, I, I'm so well-versed and, you know, I was, I, I taught myself, but I didn't have a dad that watched football or taught me coverages or schemes. My brother's not into football. I literally went out and bought football for dummies to teach myself everything, hey. every, anyone that I could get to, to talk to me about it. And I, I know like when guys hear that, they sort of roll their eyes and they're like, how does she have a job? And I can do her job better. I would submit that there's a lot of guys who couldn't do our job because no. 
it is really, really hard to do this. Now, once you get it, it is the most rewarding job. I am so grateful for all the years that I put into it and the work, but sometimes when I look back on the path, I don't know if I'd have the stomach to do it again. And when I see these young girls coming out, I just, I want to hug them all because I'm, I, I, I want to tell them if you can get to where I'm at, it is the coolest, most rewarding job. I can't tell you how significant it is to me to have Colin Coward call me and be on a show, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp, Dan Patrick, Jim Rome. When they follow my reporting and they value what I'm saying, that to me is just the ultimate validation because it took me so long to get people to see me as credible. But it also took a lot, a lot of work. And I think so many girls that get the job early, mm -hmm. um, they flame out early and there's not a sustainability about their job. And that's why as much as Jason Gary used to drive me nuts and doubts about the process, there's so much to the process and I'm so grateful for it. And every time I hear about a girl that gets a job that's a little bit above her pay grade, I'm nervous for her because if you flame out at this level, mm -hmm. people remember the business is so small. It is so hard to come back. Yeah. So, that's why I'd always tell people if you're struggling out there in whatever profession you're doing, trust the process. There is a reason for everything. When I look at every setback and every job that I had, everything led me to where I'm at. And it's sort of exciting. And like I said, a badge of honor to know that I did all that to get me to where I'm at. We're going to get right back to mine and Jane's conversation in just one second. But first, I want to talk about your home security system. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that's so complicated that you never use it. That's the exact type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24/7. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's really that simple. Head to simplysafe.com/team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com/team. It feels good to fear less. Speaking of fearless, back to my conversation with Jane Slater. You are someone who's always on the go. I watched you do hits on like five different television shows today. Um, and I saw you post on Instagram about the pandemic giving you the opportunity to purge people and places and cling to the real ones, which I love because I feel like it's, it's definitely given us as a collective that opportunity. What life lesson did you take away from quarantine? You know, I think I'm one of those people that um, everyone starts with an A plus with me and you basically have to fall down to a failing grade. And I, you know, I've had a lot of people say, you know, you are, uh, you give too many people too much credit too early. And I've had, you know, people burn me as a result of that. I think what I learned too is if people aren't checking in on you, not that they like necessarily were off the list or they, sh you know, like, look, I have friends that I can't imagine during this pandemic trying to get your kids graduated, uh, you know, dinner on the table, plus your job, like these zoom calls are, this is not what we do as reporters. We're mobile. We're not tethered to our office. Um, I can't imagine the stress that comes with that, but if I haven't heard from friends and they haven't authentically connected with me, I've just, I always heard as you got older, your circle gets smaller and it's just so true. And it's, and it's life in general. I mean, people peel off and they have kids and they get married and I think we're such a small sorority, those of us that sort of choose this profession. Yeah. I've yeah. sort of chosen the career over the family. I don't know what's the better answer. I know that I am so fulfilled in my job. Uh, my best friend's Diana Rossini at ESPN, and we were actually talking about it today. I did take a vacation last week, and 
today I got back to work and I couldn't wait to get back to work. And I said, the one thing I learned about as much as I get burned out and I want to take a break, I come back. I can't imagine giving this up for, uh, the wife life. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I was married for a year and a half and I was terrible at it. Uh, <laughs> not saying I wouldn't do it again, but, uh, selfishly, I think there is a narcissism and an ego that comes with this job. And I, I, I love it. Uh, I, it's disturbing how much Brucini and I talk about our job and how much we love it. But I think that in order to be successful at this job, you have to love it. And that's in any business, people that are the top of their craft in any field, they're sort of obsessed with success and they can't turn it off. You always want more. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think also during the pandemic, I did sort of learn like, you've got to sort of breathe from time to time. And what I loved about the pandemic is it's, it forced me to really isolate. I, somebody joked, I don't even have a goldfish. I, I said that's by design, but, <laughs> um, being really isolated and alone in my thoughts, I was the most productive I've ever been. Uh, during those seven weeks of total isolation in Dallas, where I got myself in trouble as things started opening up again. And there I was back to bad habits. But I personally loved isolation. I don't think it would be bad for the country to hit the reset button once a year doing it. <laughs> Group shutdown. We're all just yes. going to take time off and go into our homes. Now we've all shown as a country we can do that sustainably. And I'm here for the work from home life. Yes. I'm really enjoying podcasting as a full-time thing now. Um, want to get you on the record though. Does the NFL season start on time? Great question. I mean, the conversations are, I had so much optimism at first. I, I I'll be honest. When we started free agency, it felt tone deaf. I didn't really love talking about multi-million dollar contracts and salaries. It, it just felt off. Um, but then as we had the draft and I thought we did a really great job with the draft and I hope there's elements of that whole work from home draft uh, moving forward. I know the coaches loved it. Um, as we're getting closer here, I mean, we're supposed to be reporting camp on the 28th. Uh, yeah. They already, like I said, canceled the Cowboys hall of fame game. We were supposed to report on the 25th. Um, they still haven't figured this thing out. Uh, there's so many concerns and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm getting a little nervous about it. I've got to think the NFL as a league, though, is going to figure out a way to do this. I feel like they're more innovative than the other leagues when it comes. They typically are able to get this stuff done. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is a little interesting to me that we are so close up against it and we don't have a lot of guidance. I mean, this is talking to teams. This is within our own. I mean, we're reporting it today that we're still not where we're at. And it just, it makes me nervous. I'm in the final year of my contract. So yeah, of course there's some angst even on my part uh, about what that looks like for the league. And then I think about these, you know, these young guys and these young players and especially the high school players mm -hmm. who I think really need this for the college opportunity. Do they fall through the cracks if they take a year off? I was thinking um, about that. That makes, that's what makes me really sad. But I also think it's, pretty ridiculous to be like, we need football. We need sports. That's the one thing that drove me nuts during the pandemic was all of these uh, fans that would say, we need sports. We need the distraction. I, I was like, go out and kick the ball with your child or go develop a hobby, read a book. Uh, what does that say about you that all you care about is sports? Like, don't be a one trick pony. Um, that's the one thing that just drove me nuts was the rabid sports fan with far too much time on their hands at home uh, on social media through all of this. I agree. Um, and I know you got to get running pretty soon. So I'll just wrap this up real quick. At the end of this podcast, I like to play a game called Two Truths and a Lie, where you tell me two truths and one lie, and I guess what the truth is. Oh, I guess what the lie is. 
this will be tricky. Okay. Two truths and a lie. Um, I already know what all your jobs have been so far, so don't even try. <laughs> okay. Um, two truths and a lie. I have a twin brother. Um, I was a nanny for a wealthy family. Um, I once hung out with Tom Green and Drew Barrymore in New York. I want to say, I hope that the nanny thing is a lie because you're so beautiful. Like what wife would allow that to happen? <laughs> I feel like you're never going out of my sight, but I feel like the lie is the last one. No twin is brother. It? He's my Irish twin. We're a year and eleven years apart. But the coolest thing was while I was a nanny living in New York, um, it's the family that owns North Park. So I got to live in Paris and London. Well, we went to Paris. We lived in New York. We went to London. Uh, but one, one night I was out in the street and I ran into Tom Green and Drew Barrymore. Oh they were the coolest couple ever. Made me so sad that they actually didn't end up sticking together. But I mean, you had to be guessing there on the fly. So that's what I got for you. As my oh life. my gosh. You have the coolest life. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. It means the world to me. And thank you for sharing your insight on the DAC news and your career path. And I look forward to actually meeting you in person someday and giving you a hug because you're awesome. The Vicaros love you. So love I'm that. so glad we actually got to hang out uh, and, and talk on Zoom. But next time you're in Texas, let's kick it. And my brother lives in Chicago. So I'm going to hit, hit you up next time I'm up there. Perfect. Sounds good, girl. Thank you so much. And I hope you finally get some rest today. No worries. Good luck on the pod. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Moment of Kluth podcast. I'm your host, Megan Kluth. For more episodes, please subscribe and share this episode with others. Visit MeganKluth.com to get in touch, head over to my YouTube channel to watch, and stay tuned for more great interviews. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.